This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side. And joining us as they do every single Thursday in a 9 o'clock hour, the MGO Blog crew for the MGO Blog Roundtable. Always have a great time with the guys. And this time of year, especially when we can talk about their great preview piece that they do every single year, a hail to the victors. 2023 so we'll give you a glimpse of that like we do every single week leading up to the season first let's go with the intro starting off first with the man that started it all and go blog brian cook brian hello are you did you know that paramount plus when they broadcast brazilian league matches they use the sec on cbs theme when someone scores a goal (laughs) it's crazy (laughs) i did not know that it's insane the more you know i I didn't hear the sounder man Thought that was going to come through at that point. It'll come up. Uh, we also have Seth Fisher with us. Seth, how are you this morning? I, I'm good, but I'm on the same Paramount Plus plan, so I had to like been. I, I wasn't able to watch soccer because someone else was using it. But we'll. All right, well <laughs> you, you just look. You look like relief. I see relief on your on your face oh. these days because hail to the victors is done it's out it's there for people to get right it, it is and i'm gonna even have print copies in hand in about a maybe well, a little bit over a week's time they're gonna ship them out in a week but man it's uh one thing i love about the uh every uh every writer made sure he worked 45 23 into his article somewhere so we we <laughs> brag that we have the most 45 23s of any michigan preview that's out there this year uh but the other thing they do is um Everyone's got like some little nugget you learned that you can that you're gonna like point to and just know something about the team this year. Uh, I, I was just looking over Cody Alexander's article for uh, some reason, the reason I was, and I noticed he he has this point where he uh, explains when you have a bunch of receivers bunched up, that means they're expecting man coverage, and that's like a way to beat man coverage. And the more you spread them out, that more that beats zone coverage. And it's like, you know, that's something that we. People do football a lot, no, and a lot of, and people who are just like fans are at the game and like are looking down the field and go, oh, I can see that every single time. So that's one thing I love about you know this book and the way the way that these writers approach football is just man, I love it. All right, and back he's I mean yeah. he missed a Craig Ross. People like, where's Craig? Where's Craig? Craig needed a break. Had to get his get rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. Right? He's back. I, I thought I, no, that's not true. I thought I was fired. Uh, for, for my ridiculous salary demands, but, uh, apparently not. I, I disabused me of that. Uh, hail to the victors is really, really good. It's, it's something 
discounting anything, any part I haven't. I mean, uh, what Seth and Brian have done with this is remarkable. Uh, I read, I just started to read uh, Greg Dooley's stuff in there on NIL. It's fantastic. Uh, the writing is good. The, you know, his uh, content on what Michigan's doing on NIL is just is just fantastic. I mean, it is the best football magazine on the market and, and, uh, Seth and, and, and Brian deserve major credit, uh, and as, as do, as does Alex drain, uh, for the work they put in on it. It's really, it's really good. Uh, and I'll read it all year. I know that. So thanks guys. I appreciate it. So speaking of 45, 23, let's just start with that. Uh, Michigan has dominated Ohio State the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, according to Joe Klatt, who's called those guys, it's just not indicative of who the better team is, per se. So I'll read you a quote. He said, this is Klatt. This is what's so fascinating is that I would classify both of those last two wins for Michigan as upsets. I don't think that Michigan beats Ohio State, uh, that Ohio State team, six out of ten. I think they might beat them three or four out of 10. I'm not saying it's drastically a difference, but you saw in the game against Georgia with Ohio State, the talent level is very clear. There's some things that happened in that game. I'm not taking anything away because Michigan, they did have an identity and they beat Ohio State thoroughly. What I'm trying to say, though, is that I don't think that would be the case if they did it a third time. Uh, you know, I remember listening to that game, questioning both commentators, like, what game are they watching? Michigan is not able to run the football on Ohio State because Ohio State is more physical. That's the kind of commentary they were offering. Did I see this from Clatt? Talk about if they played the a third time after Michigan's blowout got worse the second year. He said, ah, if they played them a third time, Michigan wouldn't win. What do you guys make of Clatt's commentary? Uh, I I, I guess I interpreted that differently. I thought what that was saying is that, you know, if Michigan goes and beats Ohio State this year, that it won't feel the same as the previous two years. It won't feel like an upset to him. That's hmm. that's kind of what I got from that. I'm not sure if I'm reading that correctly, but that was... Uh, I didn't uh, get that. I, I, right. I mean, the pro I mean, Brian could be right. I mean, to me, it's genuine frontier gibberish. I have, no, I, I have no idea. Really? What the, yeah. <laughs> it sounds to me like a carryover of his commentary from the game until Michigan made the commentary. They they rendered it ridiculous. They rendered it moot. Uh, all that stuff I, they were spouting off in the first half. I'm not. I don't well, want to spout off on Joel Klatt that much because I I love Joel Klatt. I mean, yeah, I like Joel Klatt he, too. He when you're he was I and mean, he is the best at like looking at the game that moment and saying like oh here's that what happened that that play drives me nuts because our job is to go back and watch these plays later and break them down and he's doing it in real time like on TV and like Joel you're, you're too good but the uh, like when you break that game down from a you know and you look at every single play and I don't think he's gone back and watched every single play of this game and seen how like the the meta and what was going on. What was going on in that game was Michigan was just a much better football team. Ohio State had no answer for the main thing that Michigan could do. Michigan could push them off the ball. And they did not have the defensive tackles to hold up, just like Michigan didn't have the defensive tackles to hold up in 2019. They just got duo down the field until you do stupid things. And that's what, had to ha that's what Ohio State had to do. They had to play stupid in order to counter the fact that they could not play straight up. And there well, was no. If, you, if yeah. you look at what 
the shape of that game, it's easy to see why it felt like that, right? Because Michigan did nothing offensively until the first Cornelius Johnson touchdown. And they got another big play from Johnson later in that half. And down to down, nothing was happening. Nothing. And, you know, you got to actually go back and, and look at it in depth to see that the reason that was the case was that Jim Knowles was just super aggressive. And that's something that TCU did, too. So usually the pattern of a football team is, is you, you get aggressive and then you get burned by it. Um, and TCU's approach was like, we don't care if we get burned. <laughs> We're just going to keep doing this. And I felt like that was both of the, the Ohio State game and the TCU game. And so that's unusual. That level of aggression, that level of safeties in the box just doesn't really happen. And so you have this narrative from the Ohio State fans that are like, oh, it was only five big plays. which is like, you can say that one, that number can be one. It was one big play. That was the difference in the game. Five, that's not the right number. You can't say that. <laughs> Uh, they should have uh, said it was only five because there were more big plays yeah, out there yeah. that Michigan didn't, didn't realize. And that's to me, the, the commentary is I think I think Clatt's really good. Uh, and I think that he does his research more than many. But, you know, they I, I think that a lot of these guys take for for granted that, you know, most of the people watching just take what they say as gospel. And if you weren't watching that game close like you guys were, too, you wouldn't see that. Man, Michigan, that they weren't running the football well wasn't about Ohio State. It was about being down their top two running backs. Well, uh, when, they're, when they're number two running back figured out how to play with his hand, it was a different ball game. Yeah, and then there was that drive in the third quarter where they finally backed off and Michigan goes on a 17-play march. Like, it's like there's – I think you could see that that was what Knowles was afraid of, and that's why his uh, – defensive approach is was what it was i'm just saying from the perspective of you know someone who's just watching the game on tv it it did feel like mission goes into the half i think they were up a point and that felt like a huge fluke and it's only once you like dig back into the film that you're like okay no these big plays are a natural result of the way ohio state's playing yeah that kind of changes your opinion of, of what happened in that game yeah, I don't know what Clatt thinks. I mean, because I don't understand what that gibberish means. But <laughs> I, 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 I mean, but Sorry. I, I, I do know what Ohio State thinks. Ohio State thought they couldn't go, they couldn't play Michigan straight up. Right. They, I mean, we know what they thought because I don't think Knowles or you know was a stupid guy, and he thought the only way we're going to win this game is by selling out. And, and so they sold out and Michigan burned them five times, whatever it was, and put up 45 points. And, and so regardless of what Joel Clapp may think, or, and I'm not sure what that statement says or means, uh, right. I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm we just, know what confused, man. I mean, it, it got worse. It got worse during the game and it got worse from year to year. And it was on the road and you saw a defensive coordinator to look like he had no answers. You're, People keep referencing the the point in the game where Clatt says this is the biggest uh, defensive series of of Knowles' career or something. He said this is why they hired him. And then I mean, that's when I mean, you can't break it down to like just one play, but like you, if you want to look at one of those, uh, one of the big long touch Edwards touchdowns at the end, there's two main things that happen. 
One, Knowles has a safety brought down. They're running a, a scrape exchange. So, like, it's supposed to kill anyone who tries to, to run a zone read. And Michigan runs a zone read. So he actually has the right play call on. His, one of his guys, who's supposed to just go after the, uh, the running back no matter what, stops and holds up when he sees the zone read because he sees J.J. McCarthy might keep it, and this is like the moment Michigan's going to use their quarterback as a runner. So both guys who are coming, one of them's supposed to take the running back, the other one takes the quarterback, and boom, plays over. Both of them are basically on the quarterback because one of them just holds up for just that one second, and that's one of your safeties. That's a guy who's not even supposed to be in the box. So Knowles had the right play call on to stop what Michigan was doing, but his guys are so terrified of J.J.'s legs, which is understandable. And the other thing that happens on that play is Zinter and Olu just blow a guy off. It's Ter- I think it was Taron Vincent, who's a almost five-star defensive tackle, and they just blow that guy off the ball. And Well, yeah, he was yeah. also a UDFA, so he's a guy who didn't really pan out there. Right. Um so they, yeah, they double through him and he's trying, like, he's slanting into a gap and Michigan, Zinter in particular, his impact on, on Vincent just stalls him out so that Olu can step around him and then he picks up a linebacker and then there's your gap in the line. And there's no one behind it. The first Edwards run, he just outran Ransom. And then the second one, Ransom is being spent on this this blitz where he screws it up. And that's one thing that, I think was a major factor is that I've never seen a, a safety play a worse game than Lathan Ransom. Yes. <laughs> like well, he and, was, and he was a highly regarded gar- guy, wasn't he? Well, wasn't yeah. Or a five-star guy. There and was some pro football focus tweet about safeties grading. Mm-hmm. And I think it was big 10 safeties and Moore is up there and, and Macari page is up there. And Lathan Ransom was like third in the big 10, I think. And every comment, from both Michigan and Ohio State fans in this Twitter thread was he must have had a 100 going into the Michigan yes. game <laughs> <laughs> because it was it was ransom on the Colson Loveland touchdown it was ransom on both Edwards touchdowns it was probably ransom uh, blowing a coverage on the second Edwards touch the second Cornelius Johnson touchdown on the, no, the just, Mullings throw it was it was ransom. Well, the Mullings throw it. Every single Ohio State player <laughs> yeah. was committed to the line of scrimmage at the point of the handoff. Yeah, like I made this point in the UFR is that that didn't need to be a trick play if uh, it was just a standard play action throw to walk in touchdown because literally everybody's about to cross the line of scrimmage. So that was that was their approach, and Michigan struggled through parts of that game because you just don't see that kind of thing very often. But I do think it speaks to the distorting effect that Michigan's ground game had, even when Blake Corum was not available. And you had a pretty good inkling that Blake Corum probably wasn't going to be available. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it paid off. The body blows paid off in a 45-23 win over Ohio State. Um was there a particular reason we were talking about this game again, or is it just fun to yeah, do? No, it's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> fun to talk about. Well, you mentioned 35-23. Why are you asking this, Brian? It made me mention or think of this this comments from Clat that we just saw this week. I guess he just made them. I what was he on when he said that? Colin Cowherd this week. Yeah. So he was he was talking about it this week, and he's of the mind that if Michigan had played Ohio State a, a third time, uh, that uh, you know, I guess if they had played them, let's say they played in the Big Ten championship game, 
um, in that span that Michigan wouldn't have won that game, and and the Georgia game is proof of that. And I'm like, man, what game were Here, you watching? Here's I mean, the, the other we didn't talk about the other side of the ball. There's a 23 component to that as well, and and Ohio State scored four points fewer than they did the season before with basically the same offense and you know the incredible receiver core and everything. Michigan has changed their defense, right? They had the the whole Don Brown system just got exposed. And so they went to a pro-style defense, which works against a pro-style offense. What is Ohio State? They are the most pro-style offense in college football, right? They have a pro quarterback sitting behind four offensive tackles and a center and throwing to receivers who, if you give them a one-on-one with anybody, whoever's got leverage, he's going to win, right? Marvin Harrison has eats a 10-yard cushion against Jamon Green in this game, runs by him, there's some contact, it doesn't matter, and he gets the ball and he runs it in, right? That, that's what Ohio State's offense is created to do. Michigan's defense is created to mess, especially with young NFL quarterbacks. And they practiced it all year. We talked about Ohio State doing, going off script, doing something that they don't normally do because they are afraid of Michigan. Michigan practices how to beat Ohio State every single day. I don't mean just like the Ohio State drill. Their defense is the defense you would want to install if your job was to beat Ohio State. And they leaked yards all season playing the same defense because this is the way you play Ohio State. Yeah, man, I think uh, Michigan had them. Had them uh, I'm going to have to see how much of this text that I can read because I asked about that that first uh, that first touchdown. And as much as uh, you might have had Ohio State, one of the players make a flub, there was a there was a line check that they made that was killer. It made the play. Mm-hmm. It made the play. It was the reason the touchdown was scored was the line call because they knew they knew what Ohio State was going to come with defensively when they lined up in a certain formation. So I, I, I don't think it was just guys making mistakes. It was Michigan having scouted the hell out of them and put them in position where they were going to make a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it might not have, won, maybe it wasn't going to be a touchdown, but it was going to be a big play. It wound up being a huge play. And a touch. I got to see how much of this. I got first. I got to find the text because okay. I remember asking I, about I it. I mean, I'm not talking tactically. I'm talking strategically. Michigan's base defense, the way they play. There's a a play early in the game on def uh, when Michigan's on defense that Ohio State actually gets, I think, seven yards on a, on a second and eight. So it was a successful play for Ohio State. But when you break down what happens on this play, Ohio State. Noticed something that Michigan was doing, and they checked into it. Michigan got them to check into what they wanted to. They checked out of a situation that they actually had an advantage with Marvin Harrison and went away from him and his whole side of the field. And Michigan ends up with more guys on that side of the field than Ohio State does. And Stroud is reading his progressions, and he goes one, two, three, four. He gets to his fifth progression. Nobody's supposed to get to their fifth progression. Your defensive ends are supposed to get to the quarterback by the fifth progression. And he actually gets to that guy. He breaks makes a tackle, and he gets an extra few yards. But it was basically a dump down to the tight end. That was Michigan's defense. They knew what Ohio State they, – they they mess with your reads so much. It's really hard to figure out. Even their post-snap movement shows you something right, so different than what they're actually running. I found my question. So I said, uh, yeah. when 33 was in the game uh, in 3-4 defense, 
that you automatically go through it to a three-man zone on the backside. It looks like Olu is making the call on Donovan's first long touchdown. All I got was a wink. <laughs> All I got was a oh. wink, man. So I mean that, hey. that play they got it's like a three-man line, and the the nose tackle is shaded to like he's on Olu's left, and there's just this huge gap to the right. And so he knows someone's gonna show up there. Like it, it, it's either gonna be the the slanted nose tackle, or it's going to be a linebacker showing up, but the linebackers aren't in the spot for that. So I think you know he knows what's coming. He knows. I don't think coming. that. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily an Ohio State thing. It's just an Olu Oluwatimi thing. Yeah, it, it was. Where, um, they they definitely it was it was something that Ohio State would do with what's thirty three's name. I can't remember the dude's name. Vincent Taron Vincent. For no for no Ohio no State. You're, no it's no. Uh, a JT to him allow. That's not 33. That's no, no 33. Oh, no, no. I'll get his name. I'll get his name. Anyway, I, I don't want to get too deep, especially when you aren't showing plays. Yeah. My point is there was a there was a call. They they zoned the backside on that play, and that was what – and it was a check, and that was what made it go for what wound up being a huge play. But that's well, great it's scouting. Sawyer. It's Jack that's Sawyer. Sawyer. Yeah, to me, that's some, that's some big 12 stuff right there. Jack like, Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Weintraub. That's water over there. <laughs> you got a you got a three man line, and you're like, okay, we're gonna fool these guys because this is a Big Twelve offense that doesn't have the in depth NFL style blocking that Michigan does. And like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna cross them up, and we're gonna be like, oh, surprise! And Michigan's just like, dude, come on. <laughs> just thank you very much yeah people are in there like, i swear you guys are great you yeah. guys are great anyway i didn't mean to go off on but you mentioned 45 23 and it made me think of joel Klatt, who i i actually do think knows he he you know he is so much better than most of the guys doing it just on this ohio state thing man they, they they're watching stars guys they're watching stars they're, they're star watchers stargazers you still not need watching to have i mean you have to, to to run Michigan's defense takes a lot, and I don't know if Michigan's gonna be able to run the same defense this year because they don't have experienced cornerbacks like they did last year. Now they've surprised me before, and they installed it in one year. So what Mike McDonald did in 2021 was astounding. You're not supposed to install oh. a complicated NFL defense on a team that was recruited and has only run cover one and and a little bit of cover two, right? And then he, yeah. So. yeah. That they're and they're good at it, but like that, Georgia was not running that defense. Georgia's still a line up and play because Georgia's gonna everyone they run up against, including Alabama, they can match guy cor- you know corner for right receiver, and that's how they play. Yeah, so here's an uh, I'll read this just a source said we watched it all year and knew when whenever we saw that look at some point the ball was going to hit for a big one, <laughs> and boy did it hit for a big one. <laughs> a huge one. So telling you, Joel, they play that game again. It's worse. It's worse. It's worse. Now, the question now is what kind of adjustments did Ohio State make in the offseason? Uh, because this is going to tell us a lot about Jim Knowles, because he seemed to have no clue after the game uh, as to what happened. Zero clue. He's like, oh, Michigan made some major adjustments and, you know, we didn't adjust to the adjustments. Not quite, dude, because the, the guys michigan said they didn't make any adjustments they just kept doing what they were doing and well, it worked it worked better so yeah i mean yeah he had an all-time stinker of a game from a safety and that's really hard to, <laughs> to deal with right because you can yeah. you can 
do everything you want. And if the guy who's supposed to be the safety valve can't tackle anybody ever, I mean, well, here, here's here's to your point that you made earlier, Ryan. You you think that once you get burned like they did, you you get you become more cautious, and they didn't do that. And if you had no, watched- but then TCU didn't either. Yeah, like they could have run that flea flicker six straight times for six touchdowns, and it's just you know, I it, it felt very strange. I mean, Michigan put up like uh, how what like forty five in that game with two pick sixes. They they put up forty five in that game. They got inside the two on two separate occasions and didn't score at all. It's not like their approach worked, but there were frustrations in there. Um, and I think that was a similar with the Ohio State game. Is that uh, you couldn't say their approach worked, but on a down to down basis, it felt real frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah the the window to use that weakness against Michigan is shrinking. Because what that does is it takes advantage of the fact that Michigan, A, wants to rely on their running game more than they want to rely on J.J. McCarthy. And B, that their receivers are just not going to uh, – they're, they're not going to be able to hook up down downfield, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's Michigan doesn't want to use J.J.'s legs Michigan and, and have him run around and like expose him as much as possible. So you can just catch them trying to, trying to get five yards on first down. And then it's also like the, they're supposed to miss downfield every once in a while. I don't think they're going to miss very often, and I think now that JJ's a third-year quarterback, and they're not going into the season with two different guys, they're going to design the, the offense around him. One thing people didn't notice, we didn't talk about much in the spring game. There was a lot of arc read, there was a lot of zone read, there was a lot of quarterback running game. Now I don't think they're going to expose JJ to that much running because, like, you got to get through this. <laughs> the one thing you have to do this year is get that guy healthy to the Iowa State game, but. It's going to be part of the offense, and no question. And that and that yeah. that was a big part of the Ohio State game, and big part of Michigan scoring so much late in the TCU game. Yeah, in my mind, I see Michigan playing a lot of quarterbacks this year through the first half of the season, in particular. And they do have other quarterbacks who can run, as you saw in the spring. That Orgy looks like a pretty good runner, uh, and and so I. I think you're going to see guys. I think Warren and, and uh, Tuttle are going to play a lot too. I, I think they're going to try and protect JJ through the end of, through the end of the season as much as possible. I have a question for you guys. I thought Raheem Anderson looked great in the spring game. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought he was a killer. And 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 yet you have you have Nugent coming in who Pro Football Focus loves, and I don't know if you guys guys have watched Nugent at all, but he's yes. pretty highly regarded at the position. And so, uh, you know, I, I do you see any sort of a drop off from uh, Oluwatimi to Raheem slash Nugent, or what may yeah. they go on yeah. there? Yeah, I, you I, do. There's, I mean, the dude won the Remington and okay. deserved to win the Remington, and, the and I don't think I've ever. <laughs> And like, I you know, I don't know if I've ever charted a guy who just never screwed up. Like, okay. and like, it's hard to tell with line calls and all that stuff, but I just didn't ever see him make a mental mistake. And I think Drake Nugent is going to be an all big 10 level center probably. But I mean, <laughs> if we see another Olu Atimi uh, in my time at charting. I'll be very happy. Yeah. So I don't think. I don't think it's going to be a big drop off. I don't think it's going to be a problem spot, but I just think that that dude was, I mean, he came in ready to roll. I never seen anything like that. And I I know the Stanford transfer is probably going to be up there mentally as well. So like, 
but you're just you're just asking for a second unicorn. Do you need a second unicorn, Craig? <laughs> Can we just have one unicorn? Yeah, I, I, agree two? I agree with that. I, I think there's there's bound to be a drop off. Uh, a guy, you think about the variables for a guy to come in and and be a newcomer and pick up the scheme and be mistake free as mistake free as he was. I mean, you you aren't gonna. I just have a hard time believing it'll be as seamless. But at the same time, it won't be a precipitous drop. But to your point, Craig, I'm not. Re- I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think it's likely. I obviously think it's likely that Drake Nugent is the guy. But man, from between watching Raheem and listening to what the guys uh, have said during the offseason about Raheem, I think it is going to be a legit battle. Like it's going to be a legit competition and not just for the sake of saying, hey, we have competition at every position. I think he will seriously challenge. I think it's a lot to overcome, though, a guy with the kind of playing experience that a guy like Drake Nugent uh, has. So I, I think he's for sure the favorite. Uh, but I don't think it's locked in or etched in stone based on the major strides that Raheem is is really taking here over the past year. I think you're going to so, see I mean, a I, I like, sorry, yeah, you're, sorry like, I liked Anderson in his brief moments on the field. I thought he, he made a number of impressive blocks, and I thought that he had a real shot at the center job this year before Michigan hit the portal. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I think he'll be ready, and I don't think, Michigan's going to hit the portal for a center next year because I think he'll be he'll be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been watching uh, Nugent and like he's he's going to be really good in a different way. He's like a a David Mulk kind of guy where just you ask him to to pick up a a reach block and that's like when you block a guy who you know was actually on the play side of you, right? And you get around him and when that happens, defenses are not designed to have that block, to lose that block, because you're already in advantage, You're not, and most offenses aren't even going to try that. So when that happens, it's almost always a big gainer, and Nugent is probably going to be the best at that that Michigan's had at center since David Mulk. Uh, he just he is very agile. He's like just a um, – he's built low. He's like a little bowling ball out there, and just uh, – it's going to be very different than Olu. Like they put Olu in space, and he had some good plays against Hawaii and stuff, but he wasn't – getting around guys the way that he was just a, he was he was big and he didn't make mistakes and not making mistakes is the biggest thing you can do on offensive line but Nugent is is very smart I think they got a real player in him and I think that he's probably a one and done and then Raheem Anderson is because Nugent actually has two years to play but yeah he does yeah but I, I'm yeah. guessing that's going to be a one and done and then we're and then we're off you know I saw something on uh on your board, Sam, I don't know if you wrote it about this gambling thing at Iowa. Oh yeah. So the, the mean, Iowa guy. So by the way, Crippen is still there. He's still coming. Yeah, I always there. thought when they brought both of those guys in, the more the guy more likely to play guard was Crippen. Uh, but he's still in there. They said he's he's made strides too. I just think that I think Raheem made bigger ones. That's yeah. just the the feel that I the vibe that I get I mean, coming was out of your here. IMG yeah. center, and they needed a center, right? I think he was the guy that they, they cared a lot about getting because if you're going to get a freshman who can play center, you have to go get one from IMG because no one else has even played center at that part. But yeah. Anderson played center four years for Cast Tech, so like he knew yeah. what he was doing crazy. as well. Yeah, it's just crazy, and he was a a, a captain, I think, a sophomore Is captain. Is Guara uh-huh. from IMG also? No, he's from no. uh, Pontevedra or something like okay. that. He's okay. up in the Jacksonville area. All right. So, um, 
But yeah, the the representative that Iowa was going to send to the yeah. media days had to back out because he's part of that gambling probe. And it said 26 athletes at Iowa are involved in in some concerns about about gambling and um Somebody probably yeah, I, put the uh, the under at a for for scoring <laughs> of an Iowa game a little too. <laughs> what is that? Usually six. <laughs> like, yeah. Vegas says eight. You know, over under eighteen points that Iowa's going to score, yeah. and everyone on that Iowa offense is like, hit it, hit it. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see wh- how how much better they are with the quarterback. That so Cade will at least be more more accurate than uh what's his name petrus petrus yeah. yeah i, I almost no. called him man putrid i couldn't remember his his real name <laughs> I, I know that's what i'm saying i started calling the man spencer putrid because that's what steve called him i couldn't I, remember his i made this point on our name. podcast uh this earlier this week uh petrus took a long time to get the ball out he's just a you know it's just a slow he release just, and, a, and a lot of looking and that's not what mcnamara just, is just bad just bad. He was, he was bad. <laughs> Sound like Alex Strain. <laughs> I mean, that's like what? Like what's Spencer Petrus's problem? Yes, bad. We're back in about ninety. Like now, a, I think he's like a GA or something with the football team. He's still involved with the team. Would anybody listen to him? Does he have advice to give that you would listen to? Hey, don't play like me. <laughs> Back in ninety, yeah, if you stick around be... and you commit everything Spencer... to Iowa, you will play no matter how bad you are. Spencer Petrus is like, hey, don't don't do any of that Petrus stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Look where be... it got me. Yeah, they'll be better. I don't know that they'll be uh, as improved as Jordan Palmer seems to think, but I think they'll be better. I, I think Eric All's He's health. He's super biased. Yeah, he's super biased. And he, yeah. he hates on JJ incessantly, but I digress. <laughs> who I digress. who is this? He's a Cade's quarterback guy. So, you know, whatever chance he he has to take shots at JJ publicly. Carson Palmer's or, forgotten little brother. Yeah, whatever shots he whatever chance he has to take a shot at JJ publicly or privately, he'll do it. Well, that's bizarre. I mean, well, what's the point in that? I mean, if you want to pump up your should, guy, maybe his dude shouldn't have got his ass beat in their open competition. <laughs> like they 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 played the first two games and by the end of those two games it was real obvious who was the starting quarterback. Like yeah, what are you was. complaining about? Yep. I agree Brian. about 20 seconds guys. I agree. You make a lot of sense. Sometimes. <laughs> Sam was definitely the one who was uh who was telling us that was going to happen too. I got to give you some credit for that. <laughs> I was yeah. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. So, guys, jumping around college football between SEC media days, the uh, the ongoing storyline coming out of here, out of the Big Ten with uh, with Northwestern, who they have officially named their uh, their interim coach. They're trying to get a veteran coach to come and hold his hand for a year. Dave wants that turned him down. Uh, it was revealed this morning they're trying to get Skip Holtz to come in. There's lawsuits popping up everywhere uh, with with Northwestern. That will clearly be uh, a big time question for everyone at Media Days. Well, do you know about your what's going on in your program? The irony at SEC Media Days is the guy whose quote is uh, who's is making the rounds the most about Northwestern is Brian Kelly. 
<laughs> I, I don't I don't know if you still you still have a Brian Kelly's uh, quote over there where he talked about a and it's about accountability. And, you know, in our program, in our program, there's, you know, the coach knows about what's going on with the with the positions and, and with the trainers and. All of these, all of these. Oh, wait, this is crazy. So he said, um, uh, but I can tell you in my situation that a head coach is walking around those halls. A head coach is in the locker room. A head coach is eating with his team. A head coach knows his leadership team. He also has many other support <laughs> staff members that are in constant contact with his football team, the strength that, uh, staff, your mental performance teams. You have so many different outlets to touch those players on a day-to-day -day basis. That's how we operate within our program. Yeah, the head coach is coach. putting a guy 80 feet in the air in a, in a windstorm. We say he's, uh, he's very flawed. Yeah, yeah and the uh, message deliver. The, head, the well, man I, who had I mean, a death in his program due to negligence should not right. be the one telling Northwestern. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Did I not say the same thing, Mr. Weintraub? So. Yeah. Jose can say it was right, too. But at least he's taking the point of view that is like, okay, if this happened in my program, my ass would be fired and I would deserve it. You know? Uh, <laughs> like, I, I would love to see somebody... Like, around LSU he's not, and see how much attention Brian well, Kelly's actually paying to every single corner. Well, I mean, there's a difference, I guess, between like, uh, we're going to let these kids race cars and uh, that's Georgia. That's not LSU. But like, <laughs> I, I, I do think it is like, he's like, if there was hazing in my program, that's on me, you know? And well, we, don't often, have, we don't often see coaches do that. Didn't I guess, he have I guess a player sexually assault a yeah. girl at Notre Dame, and then I the, thought that was a central. I thought that was a central. A central, yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know, I I didn't see that element of self reflection on on that particular incident. Particularly well, I, I, the, the one you brought up, Craig, is the one that jumps out to me. I mean, yeah. the guy is is saying before the before he goes up in the lift how petrified he is. And, yeah. I mean, he's tweeting about it before practice, and you know everything that's going on in the program. Right, accountability. I, this kid, he's complaining to everyone. And you send him up there anyway. And I, what was I, I get what Brian's saying, man. Like you, you do not. You, it's good to have some coach at least saying on the record, hey, hey the coach has accountability. Unfortunately, the coach who's saying that is only saying it because he's the one coach who's the biggest hypocrite in the in the entire game. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No question. Uh, you know the, the other. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah, I mean, this whole Northwestern thing is, I mean, just gets crazier every day to me. I mean, and I'm not sure how Northwestern's going to handle it because um, you've got Fitz suing Northwestern for his $40 million or whatever he's owed. I think it's something in that range. Uh, claiming, you know, not that he can get his job back because he can't, but he, he's saying, hey, I'm owed owed the entire amount of this contract saying that you didn't fire me for cause. Uh, you just fired me. And, and since you didn't fire me for cause, you owe me $40 million. And I think that's close to what the number is. On the other hand, you got eight to 20 players, maybe more, uh, suing Northwestern and probably fits, uh, be because of the hazing that went, went on, uh, under under his watch, and I assume in that case, Northwest in the Fitz case, Northwestern's going to say, you know, uh, hey, you were negligent in letting this go on. In the other case, they're going to have to say, well, we didn't know anything about it, and neither did our coach. 
Um, so they're stuck in a situation of having to make very competing sort of defenses. I mean, now perhaps there's limitations problems in the in the case by the by the uh, alleged victims or the probable it seems like well you're, you're the lawyer here i mean by yeah. by virtue of the firing haven't they already made the case for the well for they the sure players? yeah they sure have to walk a firm line i mean i mean a thin line on this one because i'm not sure uh what i mean i guess their defenses could be hey you voluntarily participated in this you're a six seven three hundred pound guy and you and you later hazed hazed people yourself when you were no longer a freshman i don't know what their you know what their defenses are going to be uh and then to layer it all on there the current football players sign a letter uh you know i wonder if it was drafted by wilmer hale given how it was written uh saying uh you know uh I mean, it's a really not very literate and not very compelling letter. Uh, a Northwestern, like you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel sorry for Northwestern fans because you know the one thing, and my sister is a Northwestern grad and a huge fan, and one of my best friends in Ann Arbor is a Northwestern guy, and you know, they laugh at their teams to some extent, but they're always very proud of their of the kids in the team. And yet the, this letter is so bad. I mean, it, it's a non-denial denial. denial. It, it's sort of uh, more uh, implicating than exculpating. And so I don't know. It's a complete mess. I feel sorry for their fans. I feel sorry for the program in general, but I think this is going to go on now for years. You know, I, they fire fits, but they've still got all the rest of the coaches in the program who have been there, you know, for some of them, some period of time. Uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's, I mean, it's sad, but it's also pathetic. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it'll be, uh, I, I just hope that the, the powers that be the AD, the president, hope they they show up at, at media days next week and don't just send the interim coach and the players out to, yeah, to field all those. Yeah. I wonder if Fitz had not um, stood in the way of them uh, unionizing a few years ago, if they might have avoided all of this. Yeah, <laughs> there I mean, was a wasn't, union. It, there probably wasn't going, Hazen going to continue going on. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> I wonder if that isn't a, uh, you know, I wonder if unionization of, of uh, athletes, college athletes, isn't a good idea in general. I mean, I think that maybe a lot of the problems that are going on might be mitigated to some extent by by a good players union. But I definitely will uh, not just when it comes to uh, treatment like this, but their their primary uh, objective when it comes to earnings, uh, revenue sharing. I mean, that would be a means to uh, unionization is a means to an end as far as that's concerned. I mean, that's what gets you there quicker. I just don't know that those guys are are going to be um, together enough to yeah. to um, to say, "Hey, it's time to unionize." But I, I got to get these hockey questions in before we yeah. get out of here, guys. So the announcement uh, made here a few days ago that Michigan, um, you know, they had uh, rounded out their staff. Now they can add a full time goalie coach. I'm curious your impressions if you've had a a chance to look in depth into the additions and how impactful you think they will be. 
Well, I, I mean, the well, so go ahead. I'll let you talk. I talked about this once before. Go ahead, Brian. <clears throat> so, I mean, the thing that really pops out is that you're hiring associate head coach from the Chicago Steel, which is the number one USHL team in terms of talent annually. And you're adding the director of player personnel from the U.S. national team development program. And if you want recruiters, these guys seem extremely well-placed to pick up where Bill McCall left off. And, you know, before uh, I think Ryder was, is the national team guy was their director of player personnel. He was their goalie coach. So that's an extremely snug fit, and having a full-time goalie coach, I think, is extremely important. Michigan lost their volunteer coach halfway through last season, and I think that had a deleterious effect on, on Portillo. And then um, they're uh, bringing it, and both these guys are college hockey vets. It's hard to say anything definitive about their proficiency at coaching uh, penalty kill or anything like that because it's like, so ambiguous in hockey, especially when you're looking at a team like the Chicago Steel, which is just annually going to out-talent almost everybody they play. But from a recruiting perspective, this looks like a home run. They're both young. They're both up-and-comers. They fit naturally into the needs for the program. So I think this is a pair of excellent hires. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. The who's What's the name of the other guy? I'm blocking on him right now. Uh, you guys know... Um, uh, one second. I don't know my notes. In any event, he, I, I listened. Deschamps. Yeah, Deschamps. Uh, he he uh, uh, was a coach in Europe, a head coach in Europe for a couple of years and was successful there before he came back to the United States. And I listened to him talk on a po hockey podcast. He went on for for quite some time. And he's super impressive, very smart. He's very much into technology. He, uh, he, he practices, he's practiced with his teams by bringing computers down onto the ice and, and making changes during practices. So, or making corrections during practices as opposed to doing it later. One of the things he believes in is that you, if you make the corrections right at the moment, uh, that they're more likely to stick. Uh, but he's, he's very much a high tech guy. He's, uh, uh, he's, he seems on the cutting edge of what should be going on in hockey. So, I mean, I think he, he's, uh, he was an excellent choice by Nerado, as was Ryder, who was a, I think, goalie of the year one year in the, uh, in the, in, as a minor league hockey goalie, and so he's he has a history playing goalie, and uh, coaching goaltenders, and also recruiting for the, for the uh, national team. So it was, or for the U.S. Steel. So it was a good choice. What do you and guys make of uh, of uh, Nerado's comments about? Uh, facilities. He he talked about how uh, in the arms race you got like some pro accommodations with some of these. Uh, I think he mentioned. Um, I know he mentioned Ohio State. I think he might have mentioned Minnesota. But he said, you know, uh, need to uh, modernize or upgrade or uh, you know, kind of modify some of the accommodations. I just don't know how much you know how much room there is to do much. At, at Yost, where where do you guys think Michigan is in the arms race, and do you think it's going to develop into a 
a, a thing that they need to be concerned it's, with. It's always going to be a problem as long as they got Yost Ice Arena because Yost Ice Arena is literally the first field house in college sports. And it was built as a field house for the needs of a 1920s team. Um, and, you know, in order to have a locker room, they had to dig out a basement for, and now when Michigan wants to go to their locker room, they have to go up, up and down these stairs. And sometimes they're actually late getting back onto the ice because they're on the stairs. Now the visitor's locker room is a sheet that they put yeah. up, right? And and when you're walking out of the game, like after the Wisconsin game last year, I'm we're walk. Everyone's leaving through the doors, like the the big mass of fans. And right behind you, you hear their captain just screaming how mad he is about the calls that he, they had that game. And like there's there's nowhere for someone to just go in and like throw their hockey stick down and have a and have a meeting. You're that's that building was not built for hockey. But on the other hand. It's one of the reasons that Michigan hockey is Michigan hockey, that you have one of the greatest barns for hockey, for the sport, and that's where you get to play. And you walk in there, it, you can just, even with the, it's not, even though it's not the same it was in the 2000s, you just feel college hockey in that building. So they're probably going to have to build an extension. They're probably going to have to take away some of the football team's parking lot or something uh, in order to get that done. They're not going to be able to have a women's team until they do that. It's just, it's on the menu, but it's not an easy thing. How about your idea, Ira, real quick? See what they think of that one. Can you do, is there a way to like just build on the west side and like build out between Yost and the fish and like take that driveway out where there's a few parking spaces and a walkway? Just close the road down and build locker rooms there. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I think I would go the other direction, to be honest. I think I would go south. Or you'd go uh, south into the Schembechler lot, and then you'd yeah, have to you go south. the lot on the other side of the Glick. You can do that, too. Yeah, that's what I would do. I, I think that probably makes more sense to go south, and you could go down and south. And um, so that's, you know, that's my thinking, at least. That, yeah. But, yeah, they've got to do something. So Narado's correct. It's a great building for hockey, but it needs it needs some expansion. Oh, we uh, tackled a lot of Ohio State today. You you got me going there with 45 to 23. So why don't we end like we started, Seth, and tell folks one more time how they can get get Hail to the Victors 2023. Go to mgoblog.com and you'll find it up in the right-hand corner or um, go to uh, mgoblogstore.com or you can go on Amazon. Uh, Kim, yes, it's available in digital format. You can buy a PDF right now for 15 bucks. We uh, are the limited number of print copies coming in. There's an interest list already. You can get on the interest list if you go on mgoblog.com and, and look there and see if you can get a print copy. They're going to be going. I'm not going to have any extras this year. We're we we got way more than uh, than we could print. But I mean, it's it's a great magazine, and you can buy it on Kindle as well. Um, and the Kindle edition has maybe a little bit more words and fewer photos. So it's a little different thing. There you go. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports, Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station.